Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take. It's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh, yeah. It's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Misa Kwanga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, man. I'm, I might be a little bit hyper, actually, because I had a late night coffee to try and stay awake. Really? Yeah, it's strange, actually, what it's doing to the, um, the body clock. I'm just, my sleep has just gone haywire. It's always a bit weird, but it's now gone right down to, like, four hours a night. Your sleeping patterns are always super weird. I was more like, like I, five, I yeah. think we've made this joke before, but, like, the amount of times where I wake up in the morning and the first time I check Twitter and there's a an unbelievably eloquent political thread from Musa oh, and it's 7.30 a.m. maybe my time and it says posted four hours ago. Oh, <laughs> like, what, the, what the hell? Okay, so that's nothing different from me. Yeah, okay, it's always yeah. about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Anyway, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, thanks. Eating well, taking my exercise, yeah. Getting, getting out in between the games? Absolutely, actually. I'm taking care to do that. Uh, it's interesting because... <laughs> There are some games that just have unbelievable nil-nil energy. And at a certain point, you're like, we knew what this was. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, like Morocco, Croatia. I, the only thing that, that hadn't, well, I mean, maybe let's save it. Let's save it. Let's, let's, it, let's it. save it. Because to the, tonight, we're going to round up Wednesday's games in the World Cup. Mm. We might mention some more stuff off the pitch. We're going to give a quick shout out to the Women's Champions League. But the games are still being played as we're recording. They are. Other than that, check the ringer.com forward slash soccer check flows new show counter pressed on spotify wherever you get your podcasts and you and i were on Wrighty's house on tuesday and we spoke in detail about england's win over iran we also spoke about saudi arabia's win over argentina we did we talked about some other stuff as well so go and find that on the Wrighty's house feed 
Let's get into today's football after this. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man. You were talking about nil-nil energy. But let's talk about some definitely not nil-nil energy. Yeah, we have to start. We have to start with Germany 1, Japan 2. Wow. Wow. Japan were so good in the second half. And I think Germany looked, they looked a little bit rattled. I'm not going to lie. Japan won the arm wrestle. I talk about this a lot. Like, you know, the slow, the slow grind towards superiority. And Germany came out. And this is the thing. I... If there's any consolation for Germany, I don't think they were complacent. The nature of chance they created, especially in the first half, and even in the second half, and you know the bad luck of Gundogan hitting the post, for example, and just they constructed chances generally, like Gnabry and the way they recycled the ball, they weren't. They did go for it. They they weren't a team that was coasting. What was impressive about Japan was the substitutions, the changes, the constant calculation, the constant pressure harrying Germany in areas where they knew they were weak, exposing those, the fullback areas. It was just, it was masterful, actually. They just kept probing and you know, making full use of the substitutions and the timing of the substitutions. Just so impressive. And they outthought them in the end, I think. I think that was the question, really, that, 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 um, that Germany failed to answer. Japan kept presenting problems that Germany didn't have an answer for. Uh, yeah, I agree. I just think that the energy that <clears throat> the Japanese substitutions mm. gave the side. And the movement, yeah. Japan were quite patient or quite smart in the fact that they, they let Germany come onto them a little bit more in that second half and just like just hit them mm. time and time and like time and time again. And actually, to be honest, bar another good pass or two, they would have been in a couple more times in that second half. Yoshida talked about it. It was actually a great, great interview to... Um I think it was BN Sports, and he basically was like, yeah, we conceded the first goal, and that was obviously not, not great, but the plan was basically just soak it up, take it to the half, goalless, and mm. then expand in the second half, really just manage the game. You know, we've talked a lot about how the starting 11 is not the finishing 11 in terms of sorry, yeah, yeah. how the starting is not the best 11, more to the point, and how at different yeah, stages of the game. Necessarily, yeah. And Yoshida basically said that. There was even one great moment when he said, oh yeah, they were like, what a great goal celebration, you know, like he ran length the pitch for the second goal and he was like, yeah, that was time-wasting. <laughs> it just came yeah, out. It just came it. out and said it. <laughs> I was like, I like this guy even more now. I like this guy even more. So yeah, like wow. every part of the game, Japan were like, it's going to be about attrition at this point. We're just going to grind them down and all of that, like they knew Germany were going to fly out at them. And this is mm. the thing that big teams have to be careful of. You're seeing it now. Big teams have got to put you away early. Spain understood this. Spain got the yeah. result against Costa Rica yeah, that yeah. Argentina should have got against Saudi Arabia. Spain were like, we cannot maintain this for long because elite teams will fly out the traps at you and do what they do. Teams that don't have the same level of personnel or quality, still got nails, but maybe not the technical level or the physical level, they're good enough to sit and wait for you. Mm. And it's almost like a waiting game. Do you know what I mean? We've seen that pattern this World Cup so far, like teams that, our elite that fly out will get picked off if they don't take advantage early. Time and again. 
the thing about this result is that it has massively blown this group wide open. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Germany have to be extremely careful now and it, they may need a result against Spain. Spain are a team you do not well, have a result problem, against. You don't, you they're don't. probably going to have to have a result against Spain. They do they? and what a horrible situation to be in because I was looking at Spain's bench. They obviously beat Costa Rica 7-0 today. The depth on that bench is Carvajal was on the bench, Ryan. <laughs> the man has won multiple. Well, they had the, well yeah. I want to talk about this though because they had the two old boys at, at fullback in Spain. Mm. But um, going back to this game quickly, yeah. uh, Ritsu Doan and Takuma Asano, Arsenal legend Takuma Asano. <laughs> Incredible. Um, the thing I love about this, that, about these two scoring, both substitutes like we mentioned, but they also both play in the Bundesliga. Do you know how he know, you know how you know that Arsenal fans didn't know that Asano was an Arsenal player? Because Asano was not trending globally, number one. Because <laughs> you can guarantee if Arsenal fans had known that information. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I, mean I, I tweeted literally, Arsenal legend Takuma Asano when he scored the goal. Incredible. Like, absolute. What if, the goal though? The, the both goals I thought were really good. Both were, goals, like, but the second one the f- it was like Roberto Baggio, Ryan. It was like Baggio I mean, it, or Arshavin. Like, yeah, I think it, well, it ricocheted up off Neuer's knee, right? Yeah, but the first touch though, the first touch. Yeah, the touch was so good. Wild. The first touch was unbelievable. That was the one that made it. To be honest, the only thing that surprised me about the first one was that Neuer didn't appear for offside because he usually does when, whenever he concedes a goal in any moment. He actually had a really good second half, Neuer. He made two unbelievable saves. The, one, the low one with the left hand in the second yeah. half. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And it was like, wow, that's actually like, that's vintage Neuer. And then we saw peak Neuer when he decided to Go on play, a, play a free roaming <laughs> midfield role. <laughs> it was hilarious. But funny thing with Germany though, I will say this. We can talk about uh, focal points and strikers and we can say that if Gundogan scores, that one in particular comes to the post, it's 2-0 and then like, this isn't a conversation. But I do wonder, and I know he's super, super young, if someone like a Makoko might have been better. I don't know. Because the thing about Harvards is, I love Harvards and also Harvards is best sometimes off someone. Like, and I just feel like Thomas Muller and Harvards the two people kind of doing too much of the same thing. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being... Uh, I mean, it's, it's really easy to say this in hindsight. Exactly, exactly. I, it no, is no, 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 no. I'm not saying this about you. I'm saying what I'm, I'm prefacing what I'm about to say. Starting Thomas Muller when he hasn't really played a lot of football recently mm. was a big call from Hansi Flick. Yeah. And I wonder whether he would have been better placed playing Musiala a little bit more centrally having a focal point, like you said, but maybe a Makoku, maybe even... Maybe. I just think Makoku stretches you more. I just think, yeah. you know, he's so young, but he stretches you. Look at Spain, right? Spain went, they gambled with those two and it, it worked out for them. Well, I wonder whether, not looking ahead too much, but I wonder whether someone like Makoku might be a better shout for the Spain game because it's worth remembering that Germany still created enough chances to win this game. They did. Like, they even did. if you take away the XG for the, for the penalty, they still outshot Japan on XG. The one that Musiala put over the top should have scored that, like... Yeah, exactly. Not, but not I to be harsh, he but, played yeah. pretty well. No, no, he was great. He was great. I'm not completely convinced that what Kimmich gives you in the middle, he makes up for for not being a right back. I'm not convinced. I know he's amazing, right? Don't get me wrong, Kimmich. But I'm still not convinced that Kimmich at right back and some like Goretzka in the middle of the field alongside a Gundogan doesn't solve a lot of problems. I'm not convinced, Ryan. I, I, I mean, I think that's a good shout because I think the problem with that Germany midfield in, in, in the central midfield is that they're not two huge guys. And I think look, Goretzka's presence in the middle alongside a Kimmich or a Gundogan. I just think Gundogan is too good to leave out. And, and I, no, I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. 
that even though Kimmich doesn't play there anymore for, for Bayern, I think for Germany, for example, I think that like Rudiger and Sula, even though Sula's played a lot of football at right back this season, and he's played a lot of football at right back in his career, I think he's fine there. But I just think that at this in these kind of tournaments when you don't have 38, 30, 36, 38 games, I think maybe moving him centrally, him like Rudiger is a back to, as a centre back pairing. I is, love it. It's amazing. Um, no further questions. I, if you do that. Yeah. yeah. And then I think if you, if you have Kimmich at right back, I don't hate that either because he does have a tendency to sometimes drop the ball on the defensive side of midfield. And I still think that the way Germany play in an, in a, in an attacking sense, he can operate similar parts of the pitch moving up from right back anyway. I agree. The result, it could be really damaging for them, but I think in terms of the actual performance, it wasn't that bad. No, no, I, like, I liked a lot of it. The problem is this, it's now, you've got to get a result off that Spain team. And this is the yeah, thing, I mean, some, 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 might, some, might, some might say, oh, 7-0, Costa Rica went good. Here's the thing. Again, it's the same with like England beating Iran. There's a way that elite teams put you away. And the worst thing is now, They've got the worst possible reality um, any team's got to face Spain now because everyone's had a taste of it. Everyone's had a taste. It, you know, like if, imagine if Argentina against Saudi had gone clear, Lautaro gets a goal, Papu gets a goal, and everyone's like, you know, locked in. All of the Spain forward line are locked in now. They're loving it. They're feeling it. They're excited. They're free. The midfielders come on. They bring on Soler. They bring on Koke. Like this is, I mean, that's the thing. To get a result of a team with that confidence level, is a problem now. So I mean, should yeah. we move on yeah, to let's. should we move on to Spain, Costa Rica? Yeah, let's move on to it. But just of course, just uh, first of all, of course, just to sort of close it by saying, amazing work, Japan. Just yeah, incredible. Just tactically, get out of this group. Yeah, yes. wow, it's a vibe, wow, and uh, amazing fans as well. Yeah. So yes, we as we mentioned, Spain seven, Costa Rica nil. Danny Olmo with the first, Asensio with the second. Ferran Torres got. Uh, the, the third and fourth, Gavi, Carlos Soler, and Alvaro Morata. The stat that blew my mind, it was, it was 34 minutes in and Spain had completed 300 more passes than Costa Rica at 93% uh, they, they, pass completion. They finished, they, finished, they finished with 82% possession. 82% possession. Basically, the other team virtually doesn't have the ball. No. And, and the um, wild thing about the way they played, the unbelievable thing was, it all looked easy. Mm. Like, not as in it looked easy for them. They made elite football look, I was like, is it this even that complicated? What are they doing? They're just like, oh, left foot, right, you know. And then it's just, they're just shifting the ball at the pitch. And, you know, every, it's easy to say, press Busquets. But how do you get near him? With that touch, with that touch and that configuration of play, and then having Rodri, because they obviously knew, like Luis Enrique actually doesn't get, he won't get enough credit for the tactical choice of putting Rodri in the back four. Because knowing. Yeah, quite interesting. Loved it, I thought, loved but it. actually quite, very smart from Luis Enrique. Brilliant, just ball circulation. Pure yeah. ball, ball circulation. I and just, I mean, in terms of an attacking threat, sorry to jump in, yeah, but like, um, uh, stat from Opta, Costa Rica failed to have a single shot against Spain. Just a second instance of a side failing to have an attempt on goal in a World Cup match since 1966. The other being Costa Rica themselves against Brazil in 1990. Oh my gosh. You know, it's so funny. I watched this game and I remember actually thinking this was like the 1990 Costa Rica team. It reminded me yeah. so much of them in terms yeah, of the defensive yeah. stuff. It proved you right, literally. Well, it was wild. I remember, I remember watching that game. I remember watching that game. And, and it, it was so interesting because, I mean, Costa Rica in their defence, 
it's just the aging team, you know, even mm-hmm. Kelly Navas did not look as agile as, as the old days. And I, I don't want to sort of lay that on him too much. It's just that the way that Spain applied pressure, Pedri in particular, um, Busquets, Rodri shifting the ball around, those strikers showing a finishing touch. And I'm really happy for them all because they needed that. Like Ferran Torres, Olmo like, in particular, those two, you can argue the only thing holding Spain back from European glory was just that, that finishing. And the fact they're all locked in now and have that confidence to go on from here is, is really exciting for them. And it's, it's hard to even pick out a different, an individual player that was outstanding. They were just all great. And, you know, things like picking out Spilicueta over Carvajal, selections like that are just so smart, little tweaks like that. Or having Alba over Balde, so Balde can come on and just tear them up the last half hour. It's just, Luis Enrique just understands his group so well. And Rodri said this in an interview. Rodri was like, I think we've got the best team in the tournament. And I saw that in the interview. I was like, that's a bold. <laughs> you know, Rodri's not normally one to flex like that. And then I saw the actual team and I'm like, no, I get it. I get it. I get where you're coming from. I think on the uh, preview when we were talking about Spain, I was just, I think I showed a concern over the goal thing. We and all did. I think we all did. Yeah, yeah. That's later in the tournament. I'm not trying to dig myself out of a hole here, but like you said, it's really, really important is that they've proved that they can yes. from the jump. That can yes. be so, so big mm. for a side that doesn't have like a lights out number nine who is, you know, like a, a one in, I mean, not a one in two because like they're probably like Ferran Torres, for example, even though he's not an out and out number nine, but his record for Spain is actually pretty, pretty it is. good. It is, yeah. And the fact that you you said something amazing, you said the goals in midfield thing, and that's going to be so important for them through the tournament. And and Huge. to put aside a way like that, I don't want to use a a, a big Musok Wanga stadiumism, but that is, even though it was, some people say it's only Costa Rica, mm. that is a statement victory. It was like when Spain beat Poland six 0 prior to twenty ten World Cup. Yeah, that friendly, and a lot of people looked. At that, they mocked and said, "No, what that friendly showed was." If you give Spain the gaps, they'll take them. And that World Cup, obviously, they scored eight goals in seven matches. But that is because teams were absolutely terrified of what happened when they got space. I think Spain are going to face that same problem again at this, at this World Cup. People will be terrified of the passing and they're going to clamp everything down. And we might see narrow victories for Spain after this, but it will, become, it will come because people are rightly afraid of what they can do to them. Like this game reminded me actually of the Spain-Sweden game you always talked about. You remember the Spain, Sweden, the Euros, the nil-nil, and you loved that game. And this was the same kind of game. It was no different. Game, yeah. It was just the finishing. It was, and I remember watching it thinking, yeah. this is Spain, Sweden. But the only difference is, yeah, is they open them yeah, up. It's that's that same so, game. That's so interesting, man, because like Spain, yeah, the, pre, the past two tournaments, we, this, I mean, obviously we, we won't know what this, this game tells us until the end of the tournament, really. Mm. But yeah, that Spain, like loads of people were hating on Spain after that Sweden game. And I was just like, the way they moved the ball was unbelievable. Spectacular. It was, it was like, so like Tuchel's, Tuchel's first game against that was a Chelsea. Tuchel's first yeah. game in charge of Chelsea. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The 0-0 like, yeah, against the first, Yeah, and the first, the first, like, there's a like 20-minute period, they were just like light speed. Yeah. Mesmerising. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I definitely like, you know, you just kind of fall into a bit of a trance just watching it. I was like, this is unbelievable. Like, <laughs> yeah. the movement, the ball movement. But yeah, no, like Spain had that against, against Sweden. You saw that then um, in the semi-final oh my God, um, against, against Italy in a game that we said they probably should have won. Out this world, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, big, big win for Spain. So they're top of the group, Japan second. And also, I'm just, I'm just biased towards Luis Enrique because my man posted the spectacular thirst traps. Oh my God. Like, thirst trap of the tournament. Incredible. Incredible scenes. 52 for three years old. 
what is he playing at? <laughs> my guy. The funny thing about my that was guy. people were posting that on Twitter and like, I won't name names. I won't, you know, I'm not going to shame people, but there are people posting that on Twitter trying to act as if they weren't in all of the thirst trap. We, we know who they were. <laughs> oh yeah. There, there are some people extremely thirsty on main. Very thirsty on main. You won't judge. So thirsty. <laughs> I mean, you, I mean, we could, no, yeah, I mean, just a bit judgment. A podcast with Musa Gwanga can't judge anyone. Like <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, can we talk about a team who I think we're extremely hard done by? And that's Canada. Oh. Even Roberto Martinez thought that Canada were hard done by because in his post-match interview, after his side, Belgium, had beaten them 1-0, he said uh, Canada were, were way better than us. They in this game. flew out at this. This, <sighs> again. I'm sorry, but Belgium, I don't want to sound harsh, but Belgium looked cooked. a bit of a mess in that first half. They were getting cooked in the first half. Mm. Just the way Canada came at them. Now, obviously they won that penalty. I think it was a penalty. Um, yeah, I think it was, yeah. But, Davies, man, I didn't back him against Courtois. Not a good. No, just I, just <laughs> knowing that knowing that Courtois is an absolute beast and will put his hand into any corner. Courtois is one of the few goalkeepers in world football where you can hit an outstanding penalty, and the man will claw it out for corner. So mm. if you're not hitting a penalty that's outstanding, if you're hitting merely a good penalty, and I think Davies hit a good penalty that beats maybe seventy percent of keepers, you know, but it's not. It's Courtois. Courtois is doing things that maybe only Neuer can do at this point, like in terms of like that elite shot stopping. Maybe Neuer, maybe like Money Mike Manuel over at Milan. Money Mike. Money Mike. Money Mike. <laughs> Shout out to Money Mike. Just, um, so, but even, but credit to Canada because even after that penalty was saved early on, they were still going in. I didn't really, I got to admit, I didn't like the Belgium configuration that much. Batshuayi obviously justifying his pick with, with the goal. No problem there. I just feel like, Belgium invited a bit too much pressure, but credit to Canada, like the speed of the transitions and with a bit more luck and a bit more composure. I mean, like there's a moment when David had the ball and could have passed me over that to I think Hoylet was coming up. There were moments in that first half in particular, I was just like, this could be 2-0 and it should be 2-0. And actually Canada, I'm not to say they played the, the moment or the occasion. I'm not going to say that too much. It's more like, I wonder... I wonder if that thing about the the first ever goal in the World Cup yeah. was hanging over them. You know? Just seeing some of the shooting from distance, some of the shots that went wide, and some of the, having watched them in the qualifiers and having seen them be ruthless. You know? Yeah, I think there were a couple of chances to use a, a Greg Popovichism. It's just uh, give up a good sh- chance. For great, give up a good, for great chance. For a great chance. Absolutely, yeah. and just sling the extra ball at like the 2014 Spurs. Yeah, there's a couple of chances. Exactly. Though, like, yeah, Davies had one where he went went for a shot on his right foot, which is not his strength. Mm. And um, there was a really easy pass that he could have laid off. They're going to watch that back in the hotel tomorrow, and they're just going to be like, oh, no. They'll be, a massive they'll, they'll be legitimately upset with themselves. And this is not, yeah. not, they were outstanding. That The speed, the touch, the transitions. Like Belgium had to... Belgium had to stretch the pitch. Oh, mate, so, listen to this. Like, look, 0.76 XG for Belgium, 2.61 for Canada, 22 oh. total shots to Belgium's nine. Oh my Belgium's God, nine. thrashing. They lost, like, one, they, they, they lost one nil and they thrashed them. Mm, but the Batshuayi finish was so good so for that good. goal, by the way. It reminded me of another goal, but I can't remember. Like, a, it was a, 
a carbon copy of another. It might have even been another World Cup goal. Such a classic counterattack. Anyway, that's a cool bit for a pod, isn't it? Hey, that reminded me of a goal that I can't remember. What it was. <laughs> cool, right? But um, yeah, classic, like just a real momentum killer. And the horrible timing of it just before yeah. halftime. Oh, the, the reason it annoyed me so much is because I was like, this feels like a Champions League game. It felt like so many, um, it felt like Manchester United when we just got back into Champions League in the early 90s. And we were mm. just playing to open against teams like Barca. And we were just yeah. getting picked off. Or like Juventus, we were getting we were getting punished for our enthusiasm, and you saw in the second half the way that Belgium took the heat out of the game so well, playing along the back, stretching the play, pushing the centre backs right out to the flanks, and actually some to be credit credit to uh, Belgium, some really brave playing out from the back against that press, like not going long because if you go long against Canada, the ball comes straight back to you, and them knowing we've got to play out. And there were some great passages in the second half and they just took the heat out really, really well where you saw the kind of hashtag experience, you know, but you really saw them do that. Mm. Very, very, very encouraging for Canada. They obviously would have seen the Morocco-Croatia game Mm. early on in the day. Canada can absolutely get out of this group. Yeah, they'll be disappointed with not getting a result or not getting a point even. But I I think if they take, if they take that That energy, energy, they kind of, they started to really suffer in the last like 15 or so. They, They were almost, I think they need to, the only thing I would say is that in the final two games, they they probably need to game manage a little bit better. Mm, that's Especially fair. in the latter stages, because they just kind of looked knackered. But if they can take the good parts of that performance into the Croatia and Morocco games, there's no way that they shouldn't be thinking, we can get six points here. Do you know what? Here's the thing. They're in the tournament now. They know yeah. what they can do. Not they, they, It's not like some teams that got beaten and they're not aware of their potential. There are some teams that got, you know, they, they got turned over or whatever. They weren't their best, but Canada came and brought it. And they now know it's their stage. And here's the thing, like, you've not been here since 86 and you're going to be back here again hosting the next World Cup. But treat this as, like, go all in. Like, this is the thing I said, I said before, uh, like, they're not a dark horse, they're a horse. I expected them to win because I think they're the better team. Prior to kickoff, I was like, they're, they, they finished top of the CONCAC qualification. Mm. they're the team that comes out. They're the team that like, I expect to fly out and, and take the lead. So I hope, I hope they do that again in the next few games. Rooting for you, Canada. Don't let me down. Don't let me down. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, Morocco nil, Croatian nil. Not a classic. No. This, and this definitely had nil-nil energy. First game of the day, especially, you know, it's nice. I'm, I'm in the UK at the moment, so it was nice and early. There's been a few nil-nils in the last 24 hours. Let's quickly shout out Mexico against Poland. Another nil-nil, but Guillermo Ochoa. That guy is responsible some of the best nil nils <laughs> in World Cup history. I'm watching, not to mention how too often, Brazil, Mexico, right? And mm-hmm. like the entire beach is round and everyone's just waiting for like, you know. This Are we is, there? I don't like to talk about it. Really? <laughs> and, but the, you know what's incredible about that performance that he put in against? It, he silenced an entire beach, Ryan. Like everyone was ready to go party animal and Ochoa is just there on his game. Like there are so, you talk about legendary World Cup shortstoppers. I still don't think that he gets enough credit for that. Like just as someone who has been outstanding tournament after tournament, you save a penalty from Lewandowski and the video of the kids, you saw that. Did you see it? So good. Oh my God. So the, kids, good. the kids watching in the theater as Ochoa saves the penalty and they're looking so anxious and he, he delivers for them again. He's the Mexican Santa. He is absolute Mexican Santa delivering, <laughs> delivering gifts in winter. <laughs> Santa Ochoa. Actually, can I just say this quickly as well? Olivier Giroud, 
just very quickly before we bounce, I don't know if we gave him Oh yeah, we didn't even credit. mention, we didn't mention France, Australia, Jesus. Wow, can we just quickly chat about that for a split second? Just very quickly, France for Australia won. Now, I've said this about France before, France, Deschamps France, at a World Cup, you have to throw a bucket of cold water over them to get them to go to elite levels. Argentina did it in the last World Cup and Australia did it here, going a goal up. And if you do that to them, they will come at you. And the way that Dembele flew forward, the way that Mbappe was on smoke, Giroud leading the line beautifully, Chouamene just, Chouamene, Chouamene has replaced Kante at country level and Casemiro at club level in the space of six months. It is the greatest succession I've seen since Kaka stepped in at Milan and replaced Rivaldo and Rui Costa. Like Rivaldo, Kaka came in and within like, what, within eight months they were both gone. Like it's the same level in terms of the, the responsibility he's adopted. France, I know they've had these absentees and they're going to struggle, I think, in midfield. I think the midfield conversation for them is still an open one. I still think they need an extra solution there when it comes down to match control. And I was talking to Callum Jacobs about this, about you know, Pogba being irreplaceable. Pogba in certain stages of the game, you don't need Pogba yet. You're going to need him soon. But for now, what France unleashed is truly elite. And with a bit of luck, France can go further. I still think they've got a right-back problem. I still think that Pavard has questions to answer. Um, Lucas Hernandez is obviously out with a terrible yeah, injury. His, yeah, first 10 minutes. But Teo Hernandez is exceptional. Actually, I prefer him as a left back for France over Lucas Hernandez. And I like Hernandez inside more than I like him as a left back. I know that they've won before, but I think that there's a different, it's different now. I think you need firepower now to win this World Cup. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Olivier Giroud now level on goals for France with Thierry Henry. You know, it's funny about that. There was a time when people would have looked at that and be like, oh my God, I can't believe it. But the assurance that Giroud is playing with now, the way that Giroud is finishing, mm. You know, he looks like, you know, those people who, I mean, he's always been beautiful. Those people who like, they hit a certain age and they get a bit of gray hair and then they suddenly look like super handsome. And like, maybe like in their twenties, they weren't like that. And they hit 40, they're like the man. It's like Giroud has grown into the leading man for France. There was a time when he was ridiculed. And now you look at him, he's got two goals in his first, you know, game. Didn't get one in the last World Cup. He's got two, you know, he might fancy himself a Ballon d'Or at this point. Oh no, not Ballon d'Or, but like, you know, Golden Boot. Well, Ballon d'Or, who knows? Why not? Might fancy himself a Golden Boot. Um, and why not? And it's just, he looks the part in a way he didn't before. Like the body language, it's all different, isn't it, with Giroud? So yeah, really happy for him. Uh, and a great, great performance for France. Denmark drew 0-0 with Tunisia. Um, sending our love out to Nadia Nadim, who was on the ITV broadcast and had to leave because um, her, sadly her mother passed away. Oh no. She got hit by a truck. It was really, really sad. It's awful. Thoughts with her and her family. Yeah, just absolutely. awful, awful, awful news. Do we want to do any off the field World Cup stuff again? Because there was obviously the German protest and some stuff going around on that. Yeah, there's just one thing to mention very quickly on that. So Converse, uh, Reuters reporting that, this is a little slight thing to throw in about the armband update. So Reuters basically reporting that um, National Football Association is saying that they were told there would be significant what massive, unmentioned, massive unspecified sporting sanctions if they went ahead with the armband protest, uh, which puts more texture, I think, on the whole conversation because it's one thing starting a game on a yellow. It's another degree of risk if the Football Association faces 
unspecified and massive sanctions. Um, and look, some might say, actually, that's, no, that's cowardly, the associations. I get that argument. What I would also say is it puts a different complexion on the conversation, I think. I think it does put a different complexion on the conversation if that's what's happening. And, and Reuters reported that. And I know that, you know, we're in an age of disinformation. They are really, they're the, probably the first, they are the first news source I go to when anything breaks, be it earthquake news, natural disaster, political disasters, whatever. They're the first ones I go to. So check out the Reuters reporting on that. That's all I would say in terms of the off-field stuff at the moment. This stuff is going to just rumble on the whole way through the tournament. I think that's There's, right. But I think it's going to escalate. Something massive is going on. There was some, you know, stuff about Denmark talking about getting out of FIFA and, and all of this kind of stuff and other UEFA nations were thinking about it as well. I think that they, they, they and remember with, before the tournament we said that this feels like a moment and we're not quite sure what that moment will be mm. but it feels like a massive shift in this will be like a plot point in the history of football. I agree. And I think we're starting to see maybe the the cracks of that I think that's absolutely right. There's an incredible um, podcast that you recommended to me, the David Goldblatt interview on TIFO. On TIFO, yeah, with Joe, Joe Devine. Yes. It's so Listen, good. TIFO, it's can really I just say, you, just, you did an absolute, you guys are brilliant, mm. but that you took that to a different level. David, obviously, my admiration knows no bounds for that man. And Kate Mason's three-part thing she did for the Ramble as well. Was yeah, really, Kate Mason's birthday Ramble, as yeah. well, 35th. <laughs> Many happy returns, Kate. Um, great presenter great podcaster it was really good and I, I learned a lot from both mm. David's a funny one you know the first I met that guy I thought he'd been doing football writing for like 20 years and he'd been doing it for like three he what? became the best he just became the best like overnight it's wild but yeah you're right it does a pressure point in football I think that's absolutely right FIFA and this World Cup have something's changed for sure something's changed just actually, yeah, I heard, and, yeah. actually, I heard from Alexander Murphy, a, a Stadio listener who wrote to us um, a few months ago. We were still deciding how to cover the World Cup and Alex actually went ahead and boycotted the World Cup. He's not watching it. And uh, The Guardian wrote up a piece and he is the lead person quoted in the, in the, in the, in the um, article in The Guardian. And Alexander, shout out to you because you really helped frame some of my thinking about how I was going to approach this tournament. I was still forming my view on it and obviously we're covering it, we're going ahead doing it, but I really respect the nuance with which everyone who is watching this tournament, who's not watching it or in between, has engaged with, you know, what this means. And not just it being Qatar, but the wider aspects with Russia, with Brazil, yeah. with South Africa, with Argentina, you know, with all of it, with, with England in 1966, like with all of it, people engaging with the full history in a way that I haven't seen before. And that gives me great, great, um, great encouragement, actually great hope, I think, for the game. Just want to wrap up the stuff on the World Cup chat with something a little bit more happy and positive. Ah. Did you know, this is courtesy of the official World Cup Twitter account, that Luis Enrique was on target the last time Spain scored five or more at the World Cup? Wow. And it was six years before Gavi was born. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. That's unreal. Gavi and Pedri are in a midfield at a World Cup. It's, and, and it's, it's playing games long past their bedtime. And can I say this? <laughs> Would any 90 minute segment be complete without Gavi trying to get in a scrap with someone much bigger than him? Oh, he's just. He was straight in there. Yeah. I was crying. Gavi, bingo. I was crying. I love, I love it. He's amazing. There were some really cool 
what's the word? Not cool. What am I talking about? Hey, <laughs> cool midfielders. No, I was talking about like Musiala and, and Jude Bellingham, right? Mm. Because they were they were so linked. They played together at England youth level and stuff like that. And the same age and they're, they're good friends. And they could be like the Holland and Mbappe of midfielders. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah, if yeah. you think about it, we've got like a real potential period for dynastic midfielders coming yeah. up. Because you have Pedri, you have Gabby, you have uh, Bellingham, you have Musiala. They're all, none of them are 20 years old yet, right? And it's unreal. It's like, can I say about Gavi as well? Amazing. The risks, it's amazing. And also, what's interesting about Gavi is Gavi has clearly been empowered to take risks. He took a yeah. lot of risks. There's a lot of stuff He's he tried. He's the number nine shirt. That's true. That's like, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff he tried that didn't come off in yeah. this game. And I'm not saying that to knock him. It's just that if you look at Pedri and Gavi, I know the Iniesta Chavi comparison, it's not one that I'm afraid of now because I think it's merited in terms of like where they're their arc. You look yeah. at how Chavi took fewer risks and pro- progressed the ball. That's the Pedri role. And Iniesta actually did gamble a lot. Iniesta did actually go for the flicks around the corner and the stuff that wouldn't always necessarily work because you were, the margin of difficulty was something he was allowed to do. And I think it's amazing that Luis Enrique has empowered, anyone that's watched Luis Enrique team know that he doesn't take passengers, to empower Gavi to do that. He let him do that for like the entire game. He let him go out and just be himself. And of course he scores that incredible goal. That goal only comes if you've been allowed to run around and just create havoc for 90 minutes. So it's really incredible, not just that they're young, but that they're being trusted, right? They're being trusted with the engine room, the tempo, the creativity, the flair. Like it's, I I just love everything about it. I love the man management. I love the way they're being brought out. I love the way they're being um, given the spotlight. And I love the swagger as well. I've got to say, love the swagger. Let's move on to some other stuff quickly. Uh, the Women's Champions League games have just wrapped, well, pretty much. PSG uh, beat Vlasnia 5-0. Uh, Chelsea beating Real Madrid 2-0 at Kings Meadow. That's literally, as I'm saying this, it's in stoppage time at the end of the game. So well, who got the goals there? Because it's nil then we started recording, wasn't it? Sophie Ingle and Aaron Cuthbert. Ingle with a banger from distance, probably. Knowing Ingle. Probably, and Cuthmert's uh, 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 earned herself another Nando's, bless her, on the way home. <laughs> the other two games, uh, Poulton beating Slavia Prague in Prague, and uh, Roma drawing one all with Wolfsburg. That's a great point for Roma. That's excellent. Where was that? Yeah. In, in Rome, right? In Rome, mm. yeah. Good result for Roma. Finally, before we go, some news since we last spoke. Cristiano Ronaldo mm. and Manchester United have decided to part ways mm. by mutual agreement a contract termination. Uh, I imagine we'll probably talk about this when he actually finds a new club. Mm. But do you think he, do you think it's going to be an elite Champions League team? I'm struggling to see who goes for Ronaldo at this point, with the exception of PSG. And even there, I can't see it happening. If that would happen, that would be just purely for the kind of the marketing the promo because the team doesn't need him in terms of fit. Yeah, I, I don't like. There weren't a huge amount of suitors for him in the summer. I don't think, by all accounts, mm. and. I don't think his form this season will have done much to convince anyone otherwise. And I just think his wages are just such a massive factor. If, he, if he's prepared to take a gigantic wage cut, and I mean yeah. like, you know, like the equivalent of like a vet minimum in the NBA yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, He could find himself a spot on a really, really good side, but I just don't think many teams are going to be a sub, prepared he could, to, As a sub, yeah. he could take it. If he wants exactly. to play as a sub, he could go to PSG tomorrow. I just don't think he's going to be prepared to do that. The worst thing is there's no shame in that. That's the thing. Yeah, there's no. no shame in it. Like I was talking to someone about this. I was saying like, you know, well, that's 
there are some players that just have to kind of be the alpha. I was like, well, there's, I don't know. I just think there's different ways to manage the end of your career. You look at what Tony Kroos has done and he's just like absolutely maximized everything. You know, he's maximized everything and look, they kept on winning. And I just think mm. there's, there's an option like that there for him somewhere. If, if he said to like an elite club, I will take, he took half a million a week at United. I'll take what, I don't know, a hundred or whatever. I take a hundred and I'll be a sub and you can use me here, here and here. I think there's a role for him. I do. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's just my Also, my Manchester view. United are up for sale, apparently. The Glazers mm. have put Manchester United up for sale. Wow. To be honest, with that, I think we wait again. There's so much to come out about that, isn't there? There will be. And I think it's an interesting time to do it, though. Like, very, very interesting time to do it. And Someone, uh, yeah, yeah, apparently, on. is it Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who's a big Man United fan, mm. has a huge amount of money, is from the area interest in buying them. Extremely interesting. So, well, let's see, yeah. Watch this space. I mean, how do you feel about it initially as a United fan? Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm nervous about a potential, who the potential buyer might be. Mm. I'm not the biggest fan of a lot of the candidates for the acquisition of the club, but there would be some who'd be significantly better than others. I would rather they were not bought by a country, put it that way. That hasn't ended well for anyone. On the pitch, yes, but... 50 plus one. Yeah, 50, 50 plus, plus one now. <laughs> yeah, fan ownership is, you know, it's, it's a pipe dream, but that would be ideal, I think. But we'll see, we'll see. We'll talk about the Manchester United stuff in more detail as and when we have more info, but uh, I'm going to leave you on one final thing, which is Kevin De Bruyne, after <laughs> being named <laughs> yeah. player of the game. <laughs> Amazing. I don't think I played a great game. I don't know why I got the trophy. Maybe it's because of my name. Oh, that's so honest. And you know, respect him for that because he's right. Like he didn't deserve that trophy. Like fair play for him. For yeah, yeah. Respect, like respect. Yeah, 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 yeah. Respect and respect to Japan for an amazing result over Germany. Yeah, and um, that means we can only play it. We're going to play out something Japanese. Absolutely. And we're going to play it out on Your Dream by Masumi Hara. And don't forget to check. Right is House will be back on Saturday. You and I will be recording Friday night straight after England, USA. Yep, yep. Until then, don't forget to check theringer.com forward slash soccer. Check the previous Right is House if you haven't listened to it. Go and check Counterpressed if you haven't listened to that yet. Is there anything else you need to shout out? I think good. That's it. No? Full Have house. you written anything? No, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Waiting for the just giving you a, a slap on the wrist. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> All right, everyone. Much love. We will be back with you later in the week. See you then.